nothing, 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 nothing you could do. Straight up, there's nothing you know the boy says. There's nothing. I don't know why you want to play with it. There's nothing you could do. Welcome back to the Savage Hour. I'm your host, Chad the Savage George. As always, TJ La Hefa. What's up? What's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Got a lot of exciting stuff today to talk about. Got an amazing guest. And uh, can't wait. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I know. Me too. Uh, Today, we have a very longtime friend of mine. uh, Amazing, amazing uh, business person. uh, Been through a lot in his career. Has a phenomenal story. And um, I can't wait for him to get into it and us to kind of go back and forth on it. My good friend, Basil Martinez, who is the CEO of Growth Busters. What's going on, my man? What's up? What's up? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Great. Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm stoked to have you on here. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover, and uh, I think your story is not only going to be interesting as far as like a business route, but also what you've done in the process of getting there. Uh, I think it's going to really open eyes, and, and I'm, uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm stoked to share. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know you, which I'm pretty sure there's a lot, give us a little bit just about of who you are and your background and um, uh, go from there. Yeah, so um, I'm the founder and CEO of Growthbuster. Growthbuster is an outsourced marketing department. We like to call ourselves the anti-agency internally. Um, we're a team of you know, people with, with great aspirations and people that strive to be a, a great human. Um, and we go hard day in, day out and take good breaks. And, Kind of a different setup um, than, than you'd usually expect from a from a business, but I would say outsourced marketing department is the best way to describe GB. Nice. Now, outside of being an anti-agency, um, what some of the the back end of what you've done before getting into uh, Growthbuster? Yeah. So outside of college, um, graduated 07 from from UCLA, go Bruins. Um, it was a terrible time in the economy. I started out working a bunch of odd jobs, it was kind of funny, um, you know, things from doing sales for a chiropractor, um, I think, uh, what else I, I worked at, actually it's a pretty dope story, I didn't say that, but a place called Rapid7 was my first job out of college, I had no clue what I was doing, and I, I quit pretty quickly, uh, because I was just awful at it, um, I left there, and I ended up working as a server at TGI Fridays in 07, and, and going into that, it was kind of weird, because I was so proud that I skipped being a host and went straight to server. And I was like, dude, I just graduated from UCLA and I'm going to TGI Fridays to serve. Why is this cool to me? Um, and at that point, I think it was really like just getting rid of the notion that I had to do something epic right out of college. Um, yeah, I had a shitload of you know, debt from college that I had to pay for, but I didn't care. I was stoked at Fridays. Worked there for a little bit. Moved on. Um, I guess a common theme that I should probably talk about is I moved from server to bartender probably if I set the record at Fridays and it's hard to bartend there I couldn't flare for shit uh, but we did a competition where I threw a juice box in my pocket and that was probably like the best claim to fame that I had there juice box in the pocket yeah it was, it was a badass move um, I lost I think I finished last place but it was it was a good move um, then I moved on to a place called uh, Sharky's in Hermosa Beach where I worked there for five or six years and met a lot of very very close friends um, from there uh kind of wanted to move on from that because it was a little too fun for me. Um, and I uh, moved on to Quest Nutrition as an unpaid intern. And the cool part about Quest was there was a liquor store right next to Sharky's called Robert's Liquor. And they brought on Quest bars. Um, when, when you couldn't refrigerate them, they had a fiber called Chicory Root. 
and me and my best buddy at the time. Uh, we were eating those like religiously, and they took the price from a buck seventy nine to like four bucks because we bought them so much. So it's a good, uh, good lesson on supply and demand there. Um, and I worked at Quest for years, I think three and a half, four years, uh, and I learned as much as I could, as fast as I could, learning from some very talented people. Met a lot of close friends, and a, a lot of those friends are now working with me at GP. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. And well, I'm going to get into a lot of the, the growth buster, like what you guys are doing now. But when you were at Quest, I mean, we, we had a very close relationship. And when you were at Quest, I know you're working with a lot of athletes. I was one of those athletes. Uh, you were building a lot of fighters because the product was something that all of us were already using, you know, the, the Quest Nutrition Bars and things like that. And I know that there was a there was an idea that you were you were knocking around, you guys had came out with a new product, and somehow or another this led to you actually doing a fight. Yep. How did that come about? Yeah, so let me dive into that a little bit and, and unpack it. So I, I started at Quest. Um, actually, real quick, before, sorry to cut you off, I want to preface uh, um, that you didn't have any martial arts background or anything like that you weren't a fighter a guy or anything like that this is this was something that just kind of popped up and it led into that right yeah so I, I had no personal experience but my brother Mike um, he fought prior to UFC uh, when I think Kaja had something in Inglewood called cage combat or something and I, I watched a bunch of his fights and he trained with people like Mike Batonio R.I.P. John Matua, who fought in UFC 6, and I remember watching UFC uh, 1 and 2 on VHS when you brought them on. You couldn't watch them on pay-per-view yet. It was so bare knuckles, and there was no weight classes, and it was pretty rad. So I wouldn't say, like, he would have fun, like, front room combat is what we called it. We'd fight our friends in the front room, and like, we'd film it, uh, <laughs> but literally never any sort of uh, actual experience fighting. That's awesome. All right, so fast forward. We're at Quest. You're working with athletes. Uh, you've got this idea. What was that idea? Yeah, so I was working with a lot of um, fighters, and I found that there was a disconnect in really authenticity working with them. I had never, like I said, had any experience fighting, working with them on how to better their camp or to get better as a fighter. Just it didn't add up. Like I, I had no place, and I did not want to be the guy behind the desk saying, "Oh, this is what you should do, and this is what you should use." Because, quite frankly, I just like nobody's listening to me, um, and not that like taking a fight would help them listen to me, but it would give a little bit of respect um, across the table where it's a two-way street. So I came up with a weird idea with you. I remember, this, I still remember the, to this day, we're outside and I was like, hey man, what do you, what do you think about me doing a fight? And you look at me, you kind of stared at me for a second. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But this is years ago. This is also, this is this is before we had really developed a lot of programs of what we're doing now. I mean, yeah. This was when we, I mean, we, I've been training fighters for, for a while now, but I had never taken anybody mm -hmm. with no experience, and I thought it was going to be awesome. Yeah. It was, um, that was cool. I didn't expect you to say, yeah, but this was actually, um, I think it was January of 2015, and February, actually it was February 2015, and March we began the process of, uh, of the, the camp, and then it was May 30th, 2015, uh, that was the fight. So when you say the process of making a camp, I mean, for the people that are listening, you had never been through anything like this. Like, we had to take you from never sparring to learning the techniques to, I mean, you eventually went from sparring in group class, because I remember how we had to structure it. We were like, okay, I'm gonna have you spar with people in classes that are just as experienced as you, and then and because you were gonna fight, we had to start migrating you to the competition team training that we had. 
Uh, what was that experience like doing one of your first barring sessions? Um, it was pretty uh, pretty cut and dry that I was far uh, inferior to everyone. I got my ass kicked uh, by the two hours straight. I still remember that it was Cooper um, and, and Chase and you that just whooped my ass, but it was awesome. And I loved every second of it. I still remember that liver punch that you hit me with, and I've never experienced something like that. It was like, <laughs> wow, this hurts so bad. It's actually pretty cool. Like, why the hell does that hurt so bad? Um, and I remember it was kind of a challenge for me because I didn't want to hit you because I, I cared about you. So overcoming that hurdle of like being, I mean, I guess it's part of the game, you know, but like for me, it was just like a hurdle to, to punch somebody that I cared about. And I remember one time you just said, just fucking hit me in the head, dude. And you put your head down and I hit you. And I was like, damn, that felt weird. Um, but it was, it was a process. It was something that I knew was going to suck going in, but I knew that it would be worth it uh, when I came out of that. Um, you talk about it, it's a process, right? And that's something we're going to get into later, but... The process of going through getting ready for a fight, what were some of the biggest hurdles? I know you had to do some weight loss. Um, what was that? How much weight did you have to lose for that? Um, so I was 208 uh, at the beginning of March, and I was fighting at Walter weight, so I knew that I had to get down to 170. Uh, but I happened to weigh in five pounds light because I think my scale was a bit heavier. So I lost 43 pounds in 90 days. 43 pounds in 90 days. And this is somebody that had never trained like this. And it was I, it was amazing for me to watch this stuff because I remember as we were getting closer, I was like, man, he's really transforming. He's he's able to sit there. And you were sparring with everybody. And, you know, I remember like it even got to the point where I put you back in group class. You almost couldn't pull back anymore. You were, you were at that level. You're like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. And I was like, I can't wait for this. This is such, for me, it was an awesome experience to be a part of because it was something I had never done taking somebody like that. But also I was really excited to be a part of your process with that because that was something that at least I thought at the moment, at that time, it was a big moment for, for not only you, but the people that can see that, okay, if I put my mind to something, I can do it. And I think that was the biggest thing, uh, my takeaway from that is being able to give that experience to you because that'll la that'll be there for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, what was going through that process? What was the meaning of that for you and what has it done for you for, for your life moving forward and also your business? Yeah, so that three months really taught me that it's not really discomfort or getting comfortable being uncomfortable that really makes you. It was more of getting comfortable sacrificing. And what I mean by that is every Friday night, Saturday night, and sometimes even on the weekends, um, there was a lot of opportunity to go out and have fun, friends texting you, hey, do you want to do this, do you want to do that? And I found that every time I said no to one of those things, it was like stacking a poker chip. And my goal in that 90 days was to have the biggest stack on the table. And one of the things that I've done since then is I view sacrificing fun or certain experiences as stacking another chip and I know that at the end of the day that sacrifice is going to lead to a table full of chips and I'll be able to experience all of the fun that I kind of foregone um, in one huge huge like fun way so like when I'm done doing what I'm doing I plan on spending anywhere between a month and a year off the grid somewhere in Thailand just chilling looking at the ocean and drinking some, some adult beverages so right now I'm just stacking those chips home. Um, did the process of going through a fight affect the way you see everything moving forward like the planning for it and then dealing with the adversity of getting dropped in practice dealing with that of getting hit in the liver did that analogy of being in a fight have any impact on, on the way you've seen everything moving forward yeah one of our sayings at gb is um, we're uh, driven by the journey not the destination and 
more so than the fun and I mean yeah I consider fighting as a human being at that night I, I'll never forget that that was fun to me but the more valuable takeaway for me was not necessarily that night it was the process of getting to that night because if you don't go through that process you don't you just don't get to that night so for me the most important part is really the I think you said it earlier um, the juice is the squeeze and that's probably I, it was it was amazing. I remember us going fight night. You were so excited about it, and even in between rounds, because that was always the biggest thing. We um, we went to the second round, and I, and I remember you go, "He's done. I can finish this fight." And to watch a guy who had a lot more experience than you fall apart, and you were just so happy to be in the moment because of what you did to get there. That was an amazing moment for me as a coach. Yeah. And how, what was that experience like? Um, I think there's a picture actually that I have on my phone still of between rounds where I'm just like, I took my mouthpiece out, I'm just like, crack, not cracking up or laughing. It's more just like, this is amazing. Like, this is just, it's like Disneyland for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. It was it was not necessarily being in the fight that was the reason I was laid out. I was just happy, to, I was happy to be there. And as I mentioned you know, several times before, the outcome of that fight really didn't matter to me. Although I I, for, I actually forgot during that fight that it was two minutes, uh, two minute rounds in Amy. So, if you remember, I, uh, I almost had him in that Von Flu, and we drilled that thing a million times because you had just uh, finished somebody with a Von Flu and went viral for it. And I thought I was gonna get it, and then the bell rang. So but, close. But it, it, that was, to me, just executing on things and like principles and strategies that you learned for three months. Um, that's kind of the exciting part. So if you don't execute, it's, it really means nothing. Well, here's the funniest thing about that, is you, you're saying that you almost finished the Von Flu, right, the time ran out. But if you recall, he didn't answer the bell going into the next round he was so gassed from that so by default it technically was the catalyst to what happened he quit on the stool actually I think he went second round um, he he barely answered the bell that's and what then, it was and then okay. second round he grabbed the uh, the, the fence cage. to like get like the cage to get some sort of weird advancement and maneuver or something like that and then after that he couldn't answer that so um, he was just gassed out but he was a I remember I remember seeing all of my friends and family's faces everyone that I worked with this dude was a beast, and I remember that, like seeing my brother's face, and I, I think he was scared for me. But I don't like give a shit. If you get knocked out, you get knocked out. I mean, the worst thing that happens, you, you, you don't wake up. But I don't foresee that. Um, I didn't foresee that happening. And I honestly really didn't care. But I think that what you just said is probably the icing on it, right? Like you didn't care what the result was, and that's where a lot of people, even myself and everybody, you know, in, in life in general, were so worried about whether we're going to get that result that we wanted or whatever happened. But for you, you were like. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. I know I'm in it for the process. And the process that you did, you were able to almost finish a choke. You're able to get through this experience while everybody else was like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't die. And you're like, listen, I'm gonna be okay. Yeah, so the, I think a lot of people are more uh, afraid of the embarrassment. Like, yeah, if I would've got knocked down, I imagine some people would've remembered that. Like, dude, do you remember that night Vasa got KO'd hard? But the more embarrassing part for me would've been if there was video recording of training, I remember the hardest part was this. You made us do flutter kicks and push-ups until we couldn't feel our bodies anymore. And I think if there was a video or like a, a, a gif of my face during one of those, I'd be more embarrassed than uh, getting knocked out because, like I said, if you don't finish those training, if you don't get to the fight, um, that's probably the more embarrassing thing. But isn't that like to me that becomes a, like almost comical now that I, I understand it that we're so, we're more concerned about what people are going to think about something that's actually irrelevant to the, to the end result. It's just a moment of the process, and that's why I like to do those exercises with guys, because I want to see what you're made of. I want to see if you're willing to go past those comfort zones. And 
comfort zones, especially when it comes to business, are always what people become afraid of. You know, I'm sure there's been a lot of stuff you've had to figure out solutions to um, in, uh, in business um, outside of the fight, which is something on its own. But what's something that has been a big obstacle that you've had to overcome in business? Um, I think there's obstacles every day. And the biggest obstacle is being able to get through that every day and, and you know, stay, I think um, David Goggins calls it, like, stay hard. Like, some days are gonna suck. Some days are gonna be really, really cool. Never getting too high, never getting too low is important. Knowing when to hold your head high and knowing when to hold your head up. Like, but is that the hardest part for most people? I think so. I mean, I, I, I mean, for me, it was it was terribly hard. You know, like there's a huge distinction between holding your head high, and there's times where you're just like, "Fuck, this is brutal." And you got to know when to hold your head up. And I think staying even keel, um, maneuvering between the good and the bad, and, and honestly surrounding yourself with mostly good. Probably something we'll get into a little bit later, but I think it's very, very important. You know, that three months in the fight and the past two years of building GB, part of the sacrifice is, you know, there's close friends um, that you can't see very often. There's people that probably aren't the best for your future um, that you love, that you, you can't hang out with. And it's not necessarily intentional or personal that you can't see them. It's more of, this is what I've got to do right now so that when I'm done with it, I can hang out with them forever. Is this a mentality that you've always had, or is this something that's been built up over time, or was there anything that was specific that made it click to where it like locked in for you? I think this is a mentality that was might have been in me, um, but I, I never, I, I don't recall always staying that way. I don't think I was consistent with this mentality, and I found that over the past two years with GB, I stayed pretty consistent with it, and the results have kind of been a little bit easier to achieve, whereas in the past when I was younger and I didn't quite have that, mentality I would have gone pretty hard for a month or two quit done something different and I've done that quite often you know playing the drums as a kid started when I was seven I got pretty dang good and, you know people were asking me to play in bands or play for their church and, and I stopped because one shitty neighbor called the cops on me one too many times um, same with sports um, and I mean that's a common thing for me too is there's, there's a difference between quitting and pivoting in business and I think people quit every day in business like, I, I I pivot all the time in business. With GB, it's like, all right, this thing's not working for us. Let's move on to the next thing. And for me, that's in a way quitting, but it's knowing when to quit because it moves you closer to your goal. And if you quit and start over, like I have friends that they quit, you know, they want to be a doctor or they want to be a nutritionist or they want to be, you know, X, Y, or Z, but they go hard for a month and they quit. And, and that's the difference in quitting for me is quitting and moving towards your goals or quitting and starting from scratch. And I think you can only start from scratch so many times in the lifespan. I think for me, one of the biggest things you just said is being consistent. You know, that's the hardest thing for people to do is, is being consistent. And I, I truly believe that that is probably one of the major factors to succeed in anything, right? If you're consistent, you're gonna fail, you're gonna fail, you're gonna fail, but you're also gonna win. And the more times you fail, the closer you're gonna get to being able to win. And then it's on to the next thing because you, there's no way that you're gonna be able to succeed at everything. It's impossible. But if you're consistent in your pursuit, you're consistent in what you're doing, you're gonna constantly keep finding things that, that make what you're doing better, or like you said, it's gonna make you pivot and get you to where another angle of where you're going. And I think that's that's something that everybody needs to learn is that you're going to have to be able to find that that aptitude. You know, say, okay, I need to do this today, even though my friends are having a party. Okay, well, is that going to get you forward with your momentum? Is that to keep you consistent? And if the answer is no, 
you just gotta have the balls realistically to be like, okay, um, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going out tonight because it's taking away from what I have to do. It's the influences that we're we're afraid of. We're afraid of being able to tell people no and not lose the people that are next to us because of whatever uh, inner dialogue that we have in our head. What that person brings to value in our life, and I think for me that's a, that's a big thing. Also, is the inner dialogue that we have and. When you are consistent in pursuing whatever you're doing, that inner dialogue starts growing and changing. What's your What's your thought on, like, like the way we talk to ourselves? Yeah, I, I saw a post recently um, about uh, every time your inner voice says something bad about you, a part of the warrior dies. And yeah, people will say certain things where they discourage themselves, but typically, it's a lot of a lot of problems start within your head. And identifying those times where, like, I guess the common thing is you got to be self-aware. Like, am I sabotaging myself right now, or is this really like an external force fucking with me? And most of the time, it really is just self-sabotage. And identifying that and being able to, sometimes I'll literally look in there and be like, dude, are you are you making something up right now, or, or is is this a real deal? And just navigating through that is really the the important part. And being self-aware, like, most of the time we're just making shit up. And when you can mitigate that and keep from saying bad things or creating bad thoughts I feel that things are a lot easier it's like a, it's like having the, uh, the cheat codes on NBA Jam where you get like the infinite fire that's it's coming back out again it's got to that's too good of a game but yeah it's like a cheat code when you can get that um, taken care of uh, that's that's um, I love it I mean for me I, I've gotten become everybody knows that I'm obsessed with inner dialogue and the way you talk to yourself and the way you are uh, about everything um, so uh, awesome I want to I do a little little side like little side pivot um, as you would say and I want to talk a little bit about Growth Buster I mean what do you guys do what is Growth Buster what is GB what um, why is it so important to you for the for what uh, GB is yeah so GB is kind of a, a, a cool story and obviously I'm a little bit biased but GB started out of kind of a, one of those pivots but it was one of the bad ones um, I had left a really good job for you know, an experience where I wanted to test myself. And I found that along that way, um, the real test would be being my own boss. So out of like a bad experience came something great. You know, I got a dog, which is my favorite thing on the planet, because I have my mom and my family, like, they're, all, they're one. Um, but GB was one of those things where it started in my brain a long time, and it goes back to, you know, ideas are cool, but executing on them is, is the real sauce. Uh, and it was a URL I bought June of 2017. Really didn't utilize it until December of 2017, January of 2018, where I built Growthbuster literally at my old desk uh, in a studio. And I knew that like, I had to go back to the fight mode. Not that I had left it, but I knew that I had to create something that wasn't going to get made for me. And I sat at that desk day in, day out with a brand new puppy who was like two months old. She was an intern for a while and checking emails and all that good stuff. But it was nonstop getting better every day as you reached in and practiced during that camp. It was you know, sacrificing. It wasn't getting comfortable being uncomfortable, which I, I cannot stand that term or that saying. It was getting comfortable sacrificing all the fun shit as somebody that's 32 or 31 or whatever, or even in your 20s should be doing. There's a lot of fun that you should have but at the time when I was starting GP, I knew that I had to stack those chips all over again. Similar to dropping 43 pounds in 90 days, I had to drop a lot of baggage and create something out of nothing. 
that's kind of like the start of GB. A lot of people would say, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a true entrepreneur. And I know you're not a fan of, of that word. Um, what, what's your connection to that, that, uh, that terminology, what an entrepreneur is and what you know, um, a good person is and what you're doing? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of the word entrepreneur and those that define themselves as entrepreneurs. Right. I would just say that I would not define myself as one. Um, I'm somebody that likes working. Like, you know, like, this is probably a cool story and I'll get to it in a sec. Um, but I just, I'd rather be an entrepreneur of being a human, meaning like every day I'm trying to be the best human I can be. For years on my IG profile, uh, you know, I, I define myself as an aspiring human. I think there's always things that you can do better to be better for everyone on the planet um, you know it all starts I, I have a saying where um, you can't have world peace without turning on your blinkers returning your shopping carts and racking your weights you know it's like that's a good fucking human hey you put your, your your weights back thank you you should do that hey you turned your blinker on thank you you should do that um, like, those sorts of things are just fundamental and a lot of people don't have that so I always crack jokes about like man if the zombie apocalypse happened I would say a Trader Joe's parking lot is going to be the worst place to be because there's no respect there. It's like you're fucking. You're, you don't have shit happens in Trader Joe's parking lots. I dare you to go to the one on Manhattan Beach Boulevard um, over here. I don't even know the streets anymore, but I think it's like Aviation and Manhattan Beach Boulevard. It's a fucking war zone. Like don't I, I don't go there. When I used to live around here, it was a pain in the ass to go there. But being a good human is is what I'm all about. So that's my first priority. Being an entrepreneur, a businessman, I wouldn't consider myself that. I just run a business, and my close friends and family are part of it. That's how I view it. How do you think other people, um, in general, right now, like have that feeling of being a good person, a good human being? Even the ones that are quote unquote our industry leaders in the entrepreneur world, do you think that they're that they're running with with that same mentality? Um, I think there's entrepreneurs out there that are uh, business first, human second. And, or maybe second human, third or fourth or fifth, or maybe not even human at all. Uh, and that's all good, you know, their, their cup of tea is, is making money. Uh, for me, it's not really about making money because you see examples every day of athletes who have everything in the world, but the mental health isn't there, or they have everything in the world, yet they're still not very happy. Um, so for me, I, I try to learn as much as possible from other people's mistakes and observe, and regardless of any situation I'm in, I consider myself a sponge because there's something I'm going to extract that's going to help me be better at whatever it is I'm going to be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's entrepreneurs out there that aren't very ethical. I mean, it happens all the time. I think GB was a, it's kind of a, a, it was birthed from unethical actions and behaviors of people that I had perceived to be very, very cool and, and in fact, role models. Um, so I try to identify with those that are good business people as well as good humans, and I find that those are the best relationships that I'm in um, with our business. I mean, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been around the business world for a long time. I Like you, I've been around a lot of these people that have been you know, influencers or whatever. It's, it's interesting to see how people's stories are from the back end to where they are now and also how things change when the cameras are on and off. And I think that's what's amazing. But if you're a good person down to your soul and you know to what drives you, it doesn't matter who's around, what's on, what's not on. It's like that's your driving force. Um, what do you think 
your biggest fulfillment with GB is? Um, the biggest fulfillment with GB for me is, like I said, it was birthed from something like a weird situation. And most everyone on GB's team has somehow or another been wronged in in their work life. So there's, I wouldn't consider GB having any employees. Everyone that's on our team that's technically in the state of California an employee, they're not really that. We, we have a remote life. Um, some of our team calls it a remote gang. Um, we, the, the whole purpose is not to be treated the way that we were treated in the past. You know, our independent contractors, the second they send an invoice, boom, money's in the bank. Like, they get paid. They never have to wait or beg for money. In our, in our history, you know, each of ours sometimes, if we had a you know, ping people, hey, can I get paid? What do you think about that? It's, it's, it's a fundamental thing. Going back to my uh, thought process on those that are business first, human second, like, it's, there's probably multi-millionaire astrophysicists out there that can solve fucking problems I can't even comprehend, but they can't turn their blinker on. I'd rather be the poor person that can turn my blinker on and be respectful to others than have a shitload of money at the bank and be smart as hell, because what's the point of having all that if you can't do back at the very least by turning your blinker on and being courteous? Um, so GB, our team, they're, they're not employees. They're all people who are self-powered, self-driven. Um, and that there's, I think the culture is bulletproof. We're never going to go to a point where we need an office. Um, we always have each other's backs. And, and that's how I like to keep it. We, we do the exact opposite of how most of us were treated. Um, you just you just touched on something that I wanted to ask you about. Because when I was putting together all the things I want to talk about, I said, so where do you have everybody out? Are you, are you planning on growing your office? Where you're at? And the first thing you said, he goes, oh, I don't believe in offices. Yeah. And you just touched on that. So what's your, uh, what you believe in? Like you say you don't believe in offices. Yeah, so... This all goes, for some reason I have like a theme with driving, and I guess I, I don't like driving as much because a lot of, it's like a war zone out there too. Chargers park a lot and driving on a freeway or on the streets, it's, it's nasty. Well, so LA, you don't drive yeah. at all. It's the worst. So, 40, so I lived in PV for a bit, and we had an office in Manhattan Beach, El Segundo area. And that took me an hour and 15, probably to get there. And sometimes an hour and a half to get back, whatever it was. It's just called one hour both ways or an hour and a half both ways that hour and a half to, to people on our team, we preface this with, we're all very efficient. One hour of work for us is probably four hours of work in an office. I mean, it's not spent three quarters of the time on social media, emails, uh, checking, um, whatever. Exactly, so that that hour of commute, not only is wearing them down in terms of how many times they got cut off, how many times someone flipped them off because maybe they're going 65 in the 65 lane or whatever, um, that wears on people. I know it wears on me, so I'll speak for myself. When I get to an office, it feels like I already worked a full day because driving this sucked. So it's a waste of time in my opinion. Even if I could listen to books or podcasts, there's there's still some sort of mental like energy you have to output to get to the office. When you get there, you're probably at 70%, let's say. But if you can wake up whenever the hell you want, if you have the liberty to do that, if you can get to work whenever you want, if you can take your break whenever you want, if you can stop working whenever you want, you're working at 100% almost all of the time. And like I said, I'll, I'll never commute again. Like it's, it's just something that we don't believe in. And it also is empowering because in our you know in our new hire paperwork, in our employee handbook, you can work whenever you want, however you want, as you see fit. And all that, all that matters is the results. And one of my mentors um, back in the day, um, Jordan Cressman, if he's listening to this, 
we'll see if he does, but he taught me something called um, the fairest way to gauge a man is by results. Often harsh, but always fair. And that's kind of how we live with GB. Like, do, do whatever you want. You want to work one hour today, you can send tomorrow, whatever. The results, if they're there, are going to be more powerful than if you're tired and you're working at 40% because you have to drive two hours to work or whatever. So that's, that's my take on, on remote life. I would imagine that, though, if you have the remote place where everybody's doing their own thing, they have to be extremely self-motivated to be able to do that on their own, yeah. right? Because you don't have bosses breathing down your neck, which is something all of the dread. But what about the, the human interaction about being around, like in an environment of the people that are just as fired up and just as motivated? Um, do, you, do you think that helps? I think it's still distracting because I know, so our VP Danny, he wakes up at four in the morning every day, I wake up to 100 emails from him, and he's in his flow. I think that an office life interrupts your flow. I'll use an analogy. I'm going to make it up on the spot so it might suck. But <laughs> imagine like you're literally rolling with somebody and you're trying to learn and practice new techniques and, and try to execute on things that you learned the prior week in your practices. And then all of a sudden, like a referee or somebody comes up and like, tap, tap, tap on your head. And, like, hey, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Like, fuck off, dude. I'm in the middle of it. Like, I'm in my zone right now. So I view, regardless, like even if it's someone as talented and as driven as you, in an office setting, you can bullshit so much where nothing really gets done. But when you allow each person on your team to be in their flow, in their home office, with their music on or whatever, you don't have to deal with all sorts of bullshit and you can be so much more impactful that way. I'm gonna share a story that connects that so relatable, it's actually scary. So when I was getting ready for my last fight, I remember there was a training session that we had and it was being filmed for the documentary as well that, um, that's being made of, of this fight. And I was in the middle of one of my last sparring sessions and it's exact, almost identical to the way you just described it. I was in my last sparring session and something happened in one of the groups on the outside. But because I'm getting ready for my fight, I'm also a coach for the younger guys. And I'm in the middle of my session, I hear one of my guys go, chat, 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 chat. And I'm like, I, of course I hear it. But I'm, I'm focusing on the fact that somebody's trying to punch me in the face right now as I'm getting ready for my fight. And then I and I ignore him, so I'm like, okay, he understands I'm ignoring him. And then I hear another voice. Chat, 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 chat. And then both of them, chat, chat. So I have to stop what I'm doing to address them. Like, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Like, I'm right in the middle of doing this. Was there a fire? One of the guys got choked out unconscious. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. It's his bad. Like, that's his bad. Like, it's, 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 is he dying? Did something get broken? Is he gonna be okay? The answer is yes, he's gonna be okay. Why are you interrupting me? In, in my environment, I understand that that happens. Yeah. In a normal, everyday place, yes, if somebody just falls asleep outside, like that's gonna be something that needs to be addressed. But in this environment, it's normal. And I'm right in the middle of getting ready what I'm doing, I'm in my flow. I'm clearly in the middle of something. Why would you guys stop me for something that you know happens all the time? And so, when you just said all that stuff, it actually just clicked when you're right. So, I mean, I think it's very distracting. It's it's good fun and culture, there's laughs and memories that you can make, and that's all good, but let's be honest, if you're, if you have, Danny has a wife and two kids, if he could be in his flow and his distractions are his wife and two kids, he's killing two birds with one stone. He's still spending time with his family, but he's getting a lot of shit done. And when you can do both of those at the same time, you're basically optimizing your time. And I crack jokes about having nine days in the work week, and we kind of do when we I remember my time in the office, it was so fun and we made so many good friendships and without that time in the office, a lot of GB staff um, wouldn't be there because I, would, I just wouldn't have known them and wouldn't have that relationship and bond. 
but I do know that eight hours a day in an office is really four hours of work when you get distracted because you have to stop and do this and that and then get back to your work. Someone comes and says, "How was your weekend?" You stop and you gotta, you know, get distracted from your work. It's just, it's not, it's not what I'm into. And we can do so much more as a team when we're all in our flow as much as we possibly can. So then you would have to have not only a phenomenal ability to, to be self-reliant, but you also have to be able to have proper structure and workflow. You have to know how to schedule. You have to know how to stick to your agendas. You have to be able to know how to do that stuff. And that's what a lot of people fail at. You know, they have all these things. They might be hard workers but they don't know how to prioritize. They don't know how to delegate. They don't know how to actually like be okay with letting things go for somebody else because we have a deadline we have to meet together and come together with this. I mean, how do you how do you do your scheduling? So I consider the, the scheduling as part of like the brain aspect of how we work with our team. The brain, so your scheduling is the brain. It, it, well, not necessarily the brain as defined, but more of like that's part of a function of the brain. At GB we hire only, we hire brains and heart and heart is the common denominator because you can't teach heart but you can teach brains so we may have some sort of inefficiencies with scheduling with some folks um, but that's not the end of the world if you had inefficiencies in ethics that can be the end of the world for a business so we don't really we don't hire anybody that we haven't worked with um, we've never had a job post we likely never will have a job post because there's too much risk in that you don't really know the person's work ethic and you don't know their heart we're too small. Like we have enough resources in, in the close network that we have to build a team and do the job that we need to do for our brand partners. Um, so yeah, I, I think scheduling is important, but it's something that can be taught if there's inefficiencies. But the most important part is the heart and the people that care and that are, are, are warriors with you, um, you know, in the trenches, what we call it. But we, we have each other's backs, and that's that's the important part. Now, there's plenty of people that I know that have tons of heart, right? Yep. But they don't know how to get the tools or the people around them. Um, I know you have them, I have them, um, like mentors, right? How important do you think to have mentors around you to help you build those those accusations? Yeah, so I think it's all a byproduct of hanging out with the wrong folks. If you cannot learn the brain component of, at least how we define NGB, um, you're likely distracted by something in life, whether you're hanging out at the bar too much, which by all means, I, I, mean, I love a good beer and a good hard kombucha, um, but you're probably spending too much time doing that and with the wrong people. You have to really surround yourself with those that are going to make you better. So we'll go back to the fight example. If if I did a camp here and all you had was, I don't know, people that were drinking while they were training, people that were training me that had no experience training, that's more a byproduct of me surrounding myself with folks trying to get better, but they did not help me get better, nor did they have the, the brain to help me get better. Um, or the authenticity. Or the authenticity, I like that word. Uh, similar to the fight game, you know. Uh, so that's, that's something that can be taught. If it's not coming around, you likely have to really be self-aware and, and understand that you're probably hanging around the wrong people. Authentic is something you learn through the process. Yep. And for me, even fighting, right? I, I've talked about this a lot. Fighting is probably, in my opinion, one of the most authentic, authentic things you could ever do. Because when that door shuts, it's you in there. Yep. You know, there, there's you and whatever's going on in your head. And yes, there's somebody across from you, but it's 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 a moment where if you are unfamiliar with you 
it's going to be terrifying. But if you're being faced to face you for the first time, you're going to be like, oh my God, like this is, this is I don't know where it's going to go. But as soon as you can develop the tools and the process to be able to stand in front of yourself authentically, and you're going to be able to go, okay, I'm ready to fight you to whatever term that means. Um, I've been able to use that that term fighting for a lot of different things now. Now, that's also become like the driving force of a lot of things that I do. Um, what would that mean to you, the term fighting? Not in a cage, not in a ring, but I'm talking for life, for business, as a person. What does fighting mean to you? Um, I mean, it sounds cliche as all hell, but I think if you're... If you're on a path to do something crazy, if you have a goal for yourself, and if you're doing things remotely right, every day is a fight, because likely you have to do something that you don't want to do. Going back to sacrifice, you have to sacrifice something that you don't want to sacrifice. And those are internal fights, regardless, you know, maybe a, like a micro fight, but add those up over a period of time, and that's a, that's a hell of a fight. Like, man, I haven't had a drink in six months, and I, you know, before that I was, I was drinking every day or whatever it may be. Like doing things that aren't going to help you um, unless you're a professional boozer, which I don't think there are any of those. So, um, yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's tough. Isn't that funny? Like, we, we, we look at this term five and we're like, oh, it's cliche. It is cliche until you start breaking it down that in a fight, there's actually many fights that happen. I, I talk about the multiple fights that happen in a fight. You know, there's a fight in the locker room, there's a fight getting up to the locker room, there's a fight walking to the stage. There's that quiet fight when it's just you and your opponent in there, and then the fight actually starts. Then you actually have to get going. And if you do make it to another round, that's a whole nother fight. And But that's part of the process. Fighting is about the process. And I think if we can use that term way to more broad than just that cliche. Yeah, when, it, when you get to the point where it's not really a fight, waking up and you're loving what you're doing, that's kind of GPU that we wanted to create somewhere where it didn't suck to wake up. Like, ah, oh, I gotta set an alarm, and uh, oh, I gotta, I gotta drive to work, and oh, I gotta deal with whoever at the office. We, if you could really remove a lot of the fight, like micro fights in every day, it goes back to productivity and efficiency. Um, and regarding authenticity, we, we touched on that a minute ago. Uh, it's, it's really good to have those, and what I've learned from that because the main goal of doing that fight was to be authentic amongst the, the athletes that I, I was working with at the time. Um, in business you find a lot of folks micromanaging or having perspective on things that they don't really have the, the chops in. For instance, if you had, what analogy would you use? Let's, let's, call it, let's go with the chef analogy. If I'm gonna go to a, like a, a Michelin rated restaurant and order whatever I'm gonna order. And then I went back into the kitchen and was telling that chef, hey, maybe don't put as much of that ingredient on, or uh, your, your presentation's a little bit off. One, what the hell's the point of me going there? And two, what authenticity do I have to tell that other guy what to do? Like, so that happens quite a bit with our resources, whether it's creatives or whether it's, you know, copywriters. There's a little bit of finessing to make sure that things are always on brand because they work with 12 different brands. It's not a cookie cutter thing, but being authentic and letting you know. Like, I think the saying is, um, it's like hire good people who hire good people and let them do their job. It's, 
and also we hire for our, I, I personally I hire for my weaknesses like I don't like spreadsheets we have two people in staff that are fucking badass I don't, I don't even understand how to do these things but we need some of them and I have no interest in learning that I'd rather study more on what I need to study on um, but having the authenticity and self-awareness that those are common things and don't tell people who are better than you at certain areas how to do their job and to being self-aware to know that you suck at something like I suck at a lot of things that's why the, our team is really good at those things but I think that's one of the biggest hardest things people do admitting that they suck at something and that somebody might be better and that's where delegation comes from right? like, I think that's a, that's a skill in itself is being able to admit okay I'm good at what I am here I don't need to have my hands on everything because I know this person's better and when we bring them together we unite it's going to make you even better yeah, so I don't I don't call it delegation delegation to me is somebody that has a task that they pass off to another person for me, it's empowering to, hey, this is this is not my avenue. When it comes to social, creative, just knowing your retention of clients, like, yeah, knowing your lane, this is this person's, like, they are good at this. There's nobody on our team better than that, including myself. This is their area. It's, it's going to go to them. And I don't consider that delegation. If it was something like, uh, like that, if it was something like dealing with contracts or something that I just don't want to do and I have somebody do it, that's delegation. And enough of that will break a culture um, so we try to we try to limit as much delegation as possible there's people that are like masters of their craft they do those certain things and you, if you have enough of those masters doing their shit you're, you're outputting a lot of excellent work if you have like interns coming in they want to learn a little bit about uh, growth and kind of what you have to do what would you do with them so I I got to check with our HR team on that one I'm not sure how legal interns are in, in California so I'll preface that before I get myself uh, <laughs> guillotined by California. Well, theoretically, um, like conceptually. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I like trial by fire. I, I've always learned the most when I know shit. Like when I just know nothing, I'll, I'll figure it out. If I got to Google it and watch a YouTube video, um, most interns are, even most people that are senior hires, like we, we just hired a, um, you know, a senior hire this week. And I've tried to have it as little interface as possible not because I want to be a shit boss like he was onboarded but I want to have a uh, you know a place where he learns like man this is overwhelming but I find that something overwhelming for the first week or two you're going to pick up a lot than if everything was kind of just handed to you uh, it's kind of weird than ideology I have but interns uh, we would probably let them absorb and immerse themselves in the, in the world and kind of see what's going on and observe and then after they have a little bit of experience there for whether it's one day or one week then we'll kind of fine-tune those things that we observe um, the reason why I asked that because earlier you talked about you you did an unpaid internship I, I did that as well but the thing was is yeah at the time I was like man I'm not making money but you get so much education out of that from in industry like shit that's thrown on you're like oh my god yeah. you don't know how to handle it unpaid inter- that was awesome so I remember the day that I went into Quest and uh, there's another time one of those moments where Fridays, like I was really proud of skipping host at, at Quest. I was so proud that I was an unpaid intern. Yeah, I still had um, my other job to kind of pay the bills, but I remember leaving that place. And I, yes, I went back home, grabbed my computer, came back, and started. But that that was a proving ground, I, I believe, on their part as the employer and um, for me as as the potential employee. It was I remember a task that I was given to to build a whiteboard, like one of those dry erase boards that had like the wheels that you roll around or whatever. Man, I had no fucking clue. I'm not a builder. I don't build anything. I'm 
barely proficient at Legos. <laughs> and, and I was like, I don't know how to do this. I, I Googled two videos, I spent 20 minutes, and when it got to the point where I thought like I was wasting time, I felt bad. Even though I wasn't getting paid, I was wasting time with theirs. I, paid, I had 20 bucks in my pocket, and I paid one of the, um, the maintenance workers at the time, because they were in a new office, to build it for me. I didn't take credit for it. I went sweet. My boss at the time, he was like, is that whiteboard built? I was like, you bet your ass it's built. <laughs> I was like, I didn't build it either. I outsourced it. He was like, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. He was like, fuck yeah, I love outsourcing. And um, it got done. So the moral of that story is, I may not have known how to do it, but the results were that the job was done. Even though it cost, you me, had 20, to get it done. It cost me 20 bucks at the time, was probably like two Chipotle meals. I sacrificed that two Chipotle meals in order to show him like, whatever you put on my plate is gonna get done, whether I do it or I outsource it, but I'll never lie and say I did this one. That was, that was one of the stories I, I I always think about that. Dude, I love that. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal because a lot of people go, oh, I'm going to freak out and they're going to have an excuse. Yeah. Why? And it's funny. They might actually get it done, but when they present it, they're probably going to present it first with why it's not what they wanted it to be. Yeah, people kind of trip out when, when they ask me about like, how that came to be or why I'm that way. Um, and I, I mentioned a mentor back in the Sharky States. There was times where you know things just had to be done. It doesn't matter how they were done or why they were done. Was it done yes or was it done no? And that's kind of, I still live by that. I remember one time, you know, a candle was out or maybe a TV was out. I still, to this day, I, I think I have some of the best sports programming in, bar, in the bar business in the South Bay. Um, Sundays were fun watching NFL football and providing experience for everyone that came in, but there was things that just had to be done, you know, there weren't strawberries for mojitos. Well, we're out of strawberries. No, you're not. There's a Ralph's up the street. Hey, the candle is out. I put it on. You might have. It says on, but the battery's dead, so you didn't change the batteries. So those are excuses that you can't make, and those are things that have lived with me since then because it was just, like I said, people trip out when I, when I say Sharky's is one of the best proving grounds and experiences for me. Because you, you couldn't fuck around. You had to get shit done. You had to run a good shift. You had to be on point. And I think that if you take certain things like that and apply that, to you know, office work or whatever it is that you do, it's um, it's a better place for you and a better place for the people that work around you. Because they know that you just everything you say or get done is going to get done, and there's no excuses. I've got one of my uh, junior athletes. He's 17 years old. He just started working at Starbucks, and he doesn't even drink coffee. And I told him this is the best thing that's probably ever going to happen. To him. Where's that authenticity at, bro? <laughs> well, for him, what's a mochiato? Well, th think about this. He's got to learn something that he knows nothing about. And, but I told him, you know, he's like, oh, I'm got, I got a job. I said, fantastic. Do you know how much you're gonna grow from this? And he goes, yeah, but it's, I don't wanna be. I said, what do you mean? You get to talk to people. You get to meet people. You get to experience all these people day-to-day -day lives. Like that is so valuable that you were gonna take it. He was like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I said, you know, you wanna be a fighter. You wanna be a business owner. I said, you get to talk to these people and find out about their day. If you're working first thing in the morning, you get to be the first person that has interactions with them. There's a video out there that's really moving. It's this successful businessman, and he was going through a bad time. He was at an airport, he had to take a job, and then he got a call, I think. I might be butchering the story. Um, but he took a call, Some someone was sick in his family, like, like terminally sick, and he was just off. And he was getting his coffee at Starbucks, and the woman that was serving him his coffee, she was asking about his life, he was, you know, some tough times but going here or there and he came back to that Starbucks later on on the back end of his trip 
woman remembered his name. She was a chipper. She asked about how his business was going. She didn't him on the, on the negative stuff. But the fact that she remembered his name, he was so happy. He walked away, and then he stopped for a second. He walked back. He was like, "I gotta ask you, like, why? Why are you so happy? Typically, anybody serving coffee isn't necessarily that happy." And she's like, "What do you mean? I get to I get to serve happiness in a cup every day to hundreds of people. I'm fortunate to be doing this." And it's kind of a, a cool kind of mindset type thing. It's, I think she's a winner. Yeah. That's great. That's so it's, it's all perspective. Yeah, all perspective. Um, well, I mean, you've done a lot. You're still growing. What's next for for you um, and even growth plus? What's next? What's next for Vasa Martinez? Um, yeah, so I think we continue doing what we are doing. We're only two years in. They say the second year is the, the brutal year. Um, so we're always planning for the future. Uh, I never like to be catching up to anybody or myself. Um, I'm always chasing myself, and I think the team is that way as well. So we're planning for year three. We're bringing on some cool hires, some great people, talented. Um, that's kind of the process and the, and the flow right now. For year three, we plan on having uh, more impactful relationships with the brands that we work with. Uh, right now, we're fortunate to work with some amazing brands. Uh, we call it. Uh, creative, plus community, plus innovation. And over a long enough timeline, that recipe always wins. So right now we work with a lot of brands that they hold their component of that equation, which is the innovation. So working with dope brands like that are making revolutionized rice, and, you know, low-carb pizza, and bread, and, you know, all of these different like low-carb cereals going on, magic spoon, all of these brands we're fortunate to work with. And the cool part about doing that is we can shoot our shot multiple times with different companies rather than being an employee of one brand and you need to shoot your shot every once in a while. So it's exciting for us. So to answer your question, what's next for us is still curating those brand partnerships, servicing the clients that we do have very, very well to the best of our capabilities. And then um, that, that's the plan for your three is establishing our team, our foundation, and just crushing it for everyone that we work with, developing a name for ourselves. Well, innovation is something I think it's huge, you know, the fact that you guys are doing that. And um, I do want to touch on one thing that, whether you realize it or not, but you were a catalyst for innovation for something that I have been working on. And a lot of people don't know this, and I, and I do want to share this story because it's very important to me. Um, I have a certification program now called Zero Fight, which is the world's first mixed martial arts certification program that I've never really explained the back end of it, but you were actually the reason and the, 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 the heart behind it because when we took you from what we did as that concept back then, we had to create the structure. We had to create a program out of thin air on the fly because we had never done this before and it wasn't one of those things where if we were gonna have you get to that fight in three months, we were gonna have you training. I literally had to create this program as we were going. And since then, and the results, not, not only you got because the way the fight went, but what went through the process and what I was able to see of you changing through the training for that and all the regimens, I created Zero to Fight with my team behind me. And the, the program behind it is so fundamental because it's us breaking everything down to the fundamental basics of what makes these things work and to keep people safe. And Zero to Fight truly was built off of your back. 
And I think I think that's pretty amazing for me to be able to like talk to you here without you even knowing about them. I mean, we talked throughout it, but our goal is to get Zero to Fight as the platform for athletes to have to get certified through this across the entire state before they're eligible to fight MMA and mixed martial arts as an amateur because of safety and being able to keep these guys safe when they get in there. And once this, it was already rolled out, we're about to do our second certification. And I think it's pretty amazing that this whole thing, I mean, I'm writing a book on it now, was really written off of what we did on, on that process. I'll send you a good uh, headshot for the cover of that book. <laughs> but it's probably going to have a space helmet on it. Yeah, a little astronaut helmet. That's uh, fucking awesome. So, yeah, th- that, that process was life-changing. I told you this before, like, via text. But something I want to give credit where it's due is those three months do not get me wrong. They fucking sucked. But it was so great. It was, like, a beautiful experience. I remember as the months went on, I would come in here and, like, heavy metal. I was listening to some shit like, oh, we're getting down today. And as the, as it kind of got closer to the fight, I was listening to like classical or like shit that didn't even have lyrics and no drums. And I'm like, what is happening to me right now? I, I actually, I have not listened to them. And I'm, I don't know when I will, but I'm gonna save it for a special day. I took a video, or not a video, a recording, and I was just speaking into the, the microphone on my phone my first day of training when I was leaving. And I remember saying, like, holy shit, I think I'm dead right now. Uh, I can't move my legs. And then I took one after wins, where I was like, before and after. I, I still don't know what they say, but one day I will listen to them and kind of see the change in who I became. But it's something that I've taken along the road. Um, you know, like I said, the sacrifice. Uh, one thing that we haven't touched, and I probably won't dive too deep into it, but part of learning how to deal with that sacrifice and finding your flow it's something I tried replicating after the fight. I bought a set of drums that I had always wanted. I played those drums every day after work and I found my flow. I always wanted to create that, that space where everything just stops and you're, you're just like, almost like time traveling, it feels like. And from there, um, I, you know, I, I took on a different job and then I, I wanted to create a flow for myself again. And that was in GB, sitting at the desk, literally a desk with a computer, my awesome dog. Time just stopped. Next thing you know, a website's built. Next thing you know, you have your first client, your second client, your third, your fourth. Next thing you know, you're incorporating. Next thing you know, you're hiring your best friend. You guys are crushing life together. Next thing you know, you're hiring your best friend's team from wherever. Like, and honestly, the past two years feel like a week, but they also feel like a decade. But it's been two years. And without that that fight camp and understanding the importance of finding something to where just to be loved and finding the importance of it's almost like the, the marshmallow test. It's, the marshmallow test is a Stanford study where you put a marshmallow in front of a kid and you set it in front of them, you leave. And if it's there in 15 minutes, you give them two marshmallows. Oftentimes, the first marshmallow will be gone, the marshmallow will be gone and the studies show that those kids will be not as successful as those that waited for the second one. They did another study on it, though, that says that it had different reasons for it. You know, maybe it was an economic background where the kid was probably hungry or whatever. But the theme still still that the amount of marshmallows that you can sacrifice in the now is worth so many more in the future and the fight helped me out understand that because without sacrificing you know, I went out probably once or twice I probably skipped one or two practices but it wasn't a habit making a habit of doing what's going to get you where you want to go and sacrificing more of what's going to keep you back there's a direct correlation in, in how happy and successful you are and 
if I would continue raging and having fun, and those memories are cool and all, um, but the memory of getting to where I want to go is even more important to me than the memory of quick elation, quick buzzes, or you know, drinks, or party, whatever. I think it's right now that that's the biggest thing for me is carrying that fight and that thought process into the who I am today. What's a final message you can give to people that are listening? Um, I, I mean, I don't want it to sound cliche, and it's not, I'm going to do my best right now to keep it from that, but I, I think the main concepts are, are this. Find your flow. Don't fake it. For instance, I did some stuff, like in high school, I played football. That, that was fun. It was a flow, like, suiting up. Never played a, a lick of time. That was fun, but it wasn't something that was going to be my future. I quit. And I don't feel bad about quitting. I quit over and over and over again. So my main message is understanding the difference between quitting and pivoting, finding your flow and being honest with yourself. Don't don't try to live somebody else's flow. It's not gonna work. And then understanding the difference between sacrifice and discomfort. Sacrifice is uh, basically, it's, it's letting go of something in the now to have more of that in the future. And I think those three principles are what I can you know, say right now too. It's awesome, man. I'm, I'm uh, honored to be a part of your journey. I'm so stoked for everything that you have coming to you. I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of you sharing, you know, everything with us today. And uh, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for what the future brings, not only for you, but for, for everybody else and for, for us. You know, I think it's um, it's amazing when people are able to share their stories. And, TJ, got anything? Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is I like how you, you pointed out how you took that mindset from training for the fight and you applied it to other areas of your life, and that was the foundation. And just your whole approach towards business and just life and being a human being is really inspiring. So thank you, thank you for sharing. There's a, there's a couple good books out there to help with that flow because I studied the shit out of it. I hate books. Like, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, yeah, I eat books for breakfast, dinner, lunch, noon, night. Not a big fan of that because you try to really replicate other people's thought process. So you're really finding like, like heat of the moment. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna get punched in the face by Chad George. I'm gonna get punched in the liver. I'm gonna know what that feels like, but that's making me a better human. Reading about getting punched in the face and punched in the liver by Chad George isn't gonna do shit for me. So I'm, I'm big on that. So thanks for picking up on that. That's awesome. Um, well, for people that are interested to learn more about Girl Plusers or you. Where can they find some information? Where can they follow you guys? What can they do to, to get behind uh, your movement? Uh, yeah, we're at Growthbuster on IG. We don't really um, market ourselves too hard, but I would say um, more than kind of looking at GP's IG, look at the brands we work with and the innovative, like world-changing brands that we work with. There's brands like Right Rice out there. They're available at your local Whole Foods and Ralph's and Grover stores if you're uh, in other parts of the world other than SoCal. Um, Magic Spoon, they're available online. They're making a cereal that tastes just like a good cereal uh, that, uh, that's good for you. Like, there's zero sugar in it. Um, there's Outer Isle, uh, you know, low-carb pizza crust and sandwich things. There's support those brands uh, because likely, uh, you know, GB is more of a, a sounding board and somebody to listen to and somebody to help out with. Uh, so I would say support the brands we work with. We work with at growthbuster.com. Uh, say hi to them, follow them on social. Follow GB for sure. Let's do it. Uh, but we're just mostly cracking jokes there. That's awesome, man. Well, again, thank you, man. I love being a part of your journey, and I, I love the fact that you're a part of mine as well. 
know, um, I know you guys are just getting started. So are we. Yeah. This is just the beginning. Always getting started. That's it, man. Well, thank you uh, again. Uh, that's going to be it for us. And uh, as always, live life as a champion. The choice is yours. Yes, sir. Nothing you know the boy says. There's nothing. I don't know why you wanna play with it. There's nothing you.